Well, good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. It's great to be together as a whole congregation. It's a wonderful opportunity to see some people who look vaguely familiar, but you don't really know who they are because they attend a different worship service and, and to introduce yourself and to, to get reacquainted or acquainted for the first time. And by the way, there's one thing that Andy kind of mentioned, but if you have a, a Methodist background, you know that there is typically an annual appointment process. And since this is the beginning of the, of the second year for Pastor Andy, I think we ought to welcome him and his family back as our pastor. So glad you're with us. Well, I know it's a, a warm summer day, but I'm today remembering another warm summer day. I was standing on a street corner in Centralia, Illinois, watching the cars go past as I waited for the traffic light to change. As I stood there, I realized that the, the morning heat was really building, but I felt a strangely cool breeze. As I waited for the light to change, I started wondering about that cool breeze. And it was then I discovered that my pant zipper had broken. <laughs> I panicked. I looked for a place to hide, but let me tell you, there aren't many hiding places on street corners. I rushed away to the car, wondering how many of my church members or, or city dignitaries had been in those passing cars. That memory is so vivid, I could probably take you back to that exact street corner today. Because you see, it's fairly easy for us to remember our past failures and embarrassments. They stick in our minds. They can cause us to lose confidence in ourselves and possibly in our future. And my guess is you understand what I'm talking about because most of us have failed or stumbled at some point. For example, I have very serious doubts that Steve Harvey will ever forget announcing the wrong contestant as Miss Universe. And I'm fairly sure that Price Waterhouse Cooper representatives will never forget giving the wrong Oscar-winning envelope to Warren Beatty. And I'm quite sure that Decca Records executives never forgot declining a recording contract with the Beatles, saying their music wouldn't sell. And NASA scientists will, will never forget losing track of the Mars orbiter because some of them used metric measurements and others used English measurements. And I know that 12, count them, 12 book publishing editors will never forget rejecting Harry Potter. And Joseph Hazelwood will never forget being drunk and crashing the Exxon Valdez in the Alaska coast. The list could go on and on because almost all of us, I put it that way because maybe there are some perfect ones among us, I, I'd like to meet you. Almost all of us have had some significant failure some moral lapse, some judgment miscalculation, some public embarrassment. We don't have to live very long to know what that's like. And most of us have times in our past that aren't pleasant to remember, times when we didn't think wisely or perform well or behave righteously. And I think it's at that very point when we're, we're pondering those past failures or embarrassments that it's good to meet this character called John Mark. We read about him in the New Testament. 
generally known as Mark, which was his Roman name, but he was also known as John, which was his Jewish name. We encounter him in the passage that Pastor Andy read to us a few moments ago from Acts chapter 15. That's where we read that Paul and Barnabas, the first great missionary team of the Christian church, had a serious disagreement about John Mark. The account says that Paul and Barnabas decided to take a second missionary journey to visit all those they had, had introduced to Christ on the first missionary journey. And Barnabas said he wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul disagreed. Mark had been with them on an earlier journey, and Paul was remembering that, remembering that Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. As a result, Paul didn't think that Mark would be dependable and that he shouldn't go with them. Barnabas strongly disagreed. And their disagreement became so sharp that they decided to dissolve their missionary partnership. So Paul chose Silas as his new missionary partner, and Barnabas chose Mark. That means that the first great missionary team of the Christian church broke apart because of Mark's past failure. We can only wonder how that situation must have weighed on his mind. Thousands of people have been won to Christ by Paul and Barnabas and that missionary work. And I wonder if as, as Mark and Barnabas sailed away to Cyprus, if he huddled in the bow of the boat, thinking of himself as a, an embarrassment and a failure. And if my supposition is correct, he may have wished he could find a place to hide rather than to engage as a missionary. Makes me wonder whether he questioned whether he could ever do anything right. It would have been easy for him to think of himself as an undisciplined deserter or an unintentional clown. And I say that he might have thought of himself as an unintentional clown because there are some scholars who think we may have met Mark earlier in the New Testament through two verses in Mark's gospel. Those verses occur in a description of the last night of Jesus' life when he was being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The verses are in chapter 4, verses 51 and 52, and they go like this. A certain young man was following him, that is, following Jesus, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. Hmm. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. These are two of the most unusual verses in the gospel accounts because they seem to have no purpose at all. The text describes the drama of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and the agony of his being betrayed and arrested. It's a description of the most difficult night of Jesus' life. And these two verses add nothing to the description. They seem like an interruption. And they don't even identify the young man. So why were these two verses included? It's notable that Matthew and Luke didn't include them. It leads some Bible scholars to question, to question whether these two sentences may have been autobiographical. Since Mark was the author of the gospel, this could have been his way of saying that he was there too, after some fashion. In support of this theory, we should remember that the New Testament says that Mark's mother was an early believer who lived in Jerusalem and that her house had become the gathering place for this, this growing body of new believers. 
That means that she had some financial means because very few houses in Jerusalem could have served as a gathering place for this growing group. We also learned that his mother had enough financial resources that she had at least one servant. There may well have been more, but at least one. That leads some to consider the possibility. The possibility that that Mark's mother and maybe father owned the Garden of Gethsemane. That would explain how Jesus had such ready access to the garden and how he could go there for prayer even late at night because these were not public places. All this leads some scholars to propose the possibility that the young man mentioned in these two verses was sleeping in the garden watchtower that night, serving as a guard. It's common practice to post a guard in the olive gardens to protect the olives from thieves, especially in harvest season. And if that's accurate, That would explain why the young man was wearing only a linen cloth. It was appropriate sleepwear. Whatever the explanation, the young man in these two verses experienced an incredible embarrassment. He was almost captured by those who were there to arrest Jesus. They grabbed him, but he managed to pull away, leaving them holding his linen cloth, and he ran into the night naked. Naked. Highlight that word. And remember that for the Jewish people, public nakedness was an absolutely shameful act. That experience would have caused this young man long-term embarrassment. And if, if this young man was Mark, he probably would never forget that night, considering it perhaps the most shameful of his life. Running away naked could have caused him to think of himself as an unintentional clown or a stumbling fool. Well, regardless of whether the young man in the garden was Mark, we do know that he was the cause of Paul and Barnabas dissolving their missionary partnership. What a failure. It would have been easy for John Mark to think of himself as a failure and an embarrassment and to doubt whether his tomorrows could ever amount to anything. But thank God, that's not the end of Mark's story. We know from a few more references to John Mark in the New Testament that his life went on from there in a very positive way. In fact, Paul, in his letter to the Colossians and to Philemon, commended Mark to his fellow Christians, identified Mark as a trusted person and a fellow Christian servant. Even Paul changed his mind about John Mark. And additionally, Mark appears to have become a helper to Peter, as it's described in Peter's first epistle, where where Peter describes him as his spiritual son and as a helper in the ministry, probably in Rome. And most scholars believe that the time that Mark spent with Peter provided the sources that would later become the foundation for the gospel of Mark. Yes, the gospel of Mark. I've been referring to it without saying much about its author. But most scholars believe that the person I'm talking about was the author of the second gospel and that it was the first full gospel ever written. In addition, textual scholars tend to believe that Mark's gospel probably became something of a foundation for the gospels of Matthew and Luke, giving giving some of the structure and some of the content. So, this undisciplined deserter, this unintentional clown became one of the most important proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
With the help of God, he stepped out of his failed past and into an amazing future of service in the kingdom of Christ. Writing this gospel made him one of the most outstanding evangelists in the history of the Christian church. But isn't that the kind of transformation that Jesus made possible for so many people? He refused to limit people to their past. He repeatedly called people to step out of their past into a bright future. He did it with the hated tax collectors like, like Matthew and Zacchaeus. He did it with the immoral woman who washed his feet with her tears. He did it with a woman who was about to be stoned to death for, for immorality. He did it with Nicodemus who, who was immersed in the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He did it with a man who had allowed himself to be possessed by a legion of demons. Again and again, he called people into a bright future regardless of how bad their past had been. Repeatedly, he called people into a, a future that forgave the past and gave them power to be somebody different because of God's help. It seems to me that Mark became an example of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians when he wrote this. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. I remember that there were many doubters when the announcement was made that Charles Colson had become a Christian. Many doubted that he could change. Charles Colson had a really bad past. He was the political operative who boasted that he would walk over his own grandmother to assure the re-election of President Nixon. He had the reputation for dirty tricks. He described himself as the hatchet man. He was the one who orchestrated illegal activities to discredit those who were seen as enemies of the president. But then Charles Colson had what he called a profound religious experience. He said that he had found new life in Christ. And instead of fighting the charges against him, he decided to plead guilty to obstruction of justice and go to prison. He said that was the price he had to pay to complete the shedding of his old life and to be free to live the new one. When Colson went to prison, many people assumed that he would revert to his old ways. But instead, during his time there, he developed a passion for leading fellow prisoners to Christ. And he developed a passion for helping the nation transform its, its approach to, to criminal prosecution. And after being released from prison, he founded two great Christian organizations, Prison Fellowship and Prison Fellowship International. And they continue today to help prisoners transform their lives through their faith in Jesus Christ. And when Charles Colson died in 2012, <clears throat> Christians around the world thanked God for him and for the impact of his transformed life. In fact, on the occasion of his death, Christianity Today published these words about him. The trumpets will be sounding on the other side for Charles W. Colson, not only for what he achieved as a Christian leader, for, but for how much his character changed. His life story is one of the outstanding and best-known examples in modern times of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. 
Yes, many doubted that a man like Charles Colson could escape his past, but God's grace proved them wrong. No matter how bad a past may be, there's forgiveness and hope through Jesus Christ. So, so friends, don't let your failed past define you. Regardless of how many failures and embarrassments may lie back there, don't let them determine who you'll become. God's forgiveness is intended to set us free so that we can be different. Just as Jesus said to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. He calls us to receive forgiveness and the power to live differently. I think Holy Communion is one of the most tangible ways of celebrating the new beginning that Christ offers us. There's forgiveness and new opportunity at the table of the Lord. Jesus died and rose again so that you and I could have a glorious eternal future. So you and I can come to this table. We can come to the table of the Lord, bringing with us the times when we became unintentional clowns or stumbling fools. Bringing with us the times when we became undisciplined deserters or shameful sinners or extreme failures. We can bring our past, no matter how bad it was, and seek his forgiveness and his power to be the people shaped in God's image. So friends, I invite you to the Lord's table this morning. Invite you to come and meet the new persons Christ will enable you to become. Please bow with me in prayer. Amazing God, thank you. As we remember our past, there is some shame and regret, some failure. But today, there's a burgeoning hope and joy in our hearts because we know what Jesus made possible for so many people and what he still makes possible through the power of his Holy Spirit. Cleanse us of our sin. Make us pure in your sight, not because of our worthiness, but because of your never-failing grace. And help us in the days that lie ahead to live lives that will point the way to you as did the life of John Mark. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.